Welcome to The Explainer from the Journal.ie, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Christine Bowen, in for Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is the latest with Ireland's vaccine rollout? It can be hard to remind ourselves sometimes that we're in the middle of probably the biggest scientific and logistical endeavour of our lifetimes. This is the fastest that a vaccine has ever been created. The COVID vaccines have been developed and found to be safe in less than 12 months, when the previous record for a vaccine was the mumps vaccine in the 1960s, which took about four years. Some of the vaccines are using an entirely new approach to vaccination, and the scale of it all is bigger than any previous vaccine programme. So it's been a huge scientific breakthrough to do all of this, but there have been hiccups. In Ireland, the rollout so far has been solid in some ways, but perhaps sluggish in others. So where exactly is Ireland at right now, and how are we doing compared to other countries? And will we forget about all of the hiccups in a year or so once we're all inoculated? To bring a bit of light to all of this, we have two of our go-to reporters for all things vaccine, Michelle Hennessy and Ora Ryan, and it's really good to have both of you here with us today. Michelle, let's start by setting the scene a bit. Right now, almost 4% of Ireland's population has received a COVID vaccine so far. Can you tell us a bit about who has been vaccinated in the first phase of the vaccine rollout and who's going to be vaccinated as part of the next phase that we're now entering into? Right, so our first two cohorts um, that people would be familiar with now in the early days of the the vaccine rollout uh, were people over 65 in long-term residential care and also frontline healthcare workers. We've moved now into that third cohort on the government's vaccination rollout list uh, and that's people aged 70 and over. We're starting first with people aged 85 and older and then we'll be moving down the age group. So after that, it'll be 80 to 84 and so on. And it's expected this first group, the 85 plus, plus cohort will take about three weeks to get through in in terms of first doses. And remember, all of the vaccines that we're using at the moment are two doses, a two dose vaccine. So three weeks to get through that first group in terms of first doses. And I mean, we're really just in, in that first week of that third phase now. And so if you're in the age bracket that's being vaccinated now, how do, how do you get the vaccine? What are the logistics? Do you contact your GP? Do you go to one of these vaccination centres we've seen being set up? How does it work? Well, the, the people who are getting their vaccine in the coming days should already know. Uh, and this is all being managed through general practice. So GPs around the country have been checking their own systems and communicating with the HSE. Now, almost everyone who's over 70 in Ireland is entitled to a, a GP general medical services card, either a full one or a doctor's visit card. And they're on the HSE's primary care reimbursement service database. So the HSE contacts the individual GPs and says, according to our systems, you have X number of patients uh, who are in that age bracket. And the GP will get back either confirming that amount or adding to it. So some of the examples of people that they might be adding to the list are people who may have decided not to get a medical card. Some people due to their financial situation don't feel like they need it. There also would be some older people who moved in with their children or or their relatives during the pandemic. So they may, may not be close. They may have moved counties during that time. They might not be close to their own GP anymore. And in those situations, the GP they're closest to uh, the sort of family they're living with, their GP, who they actually might have dealt with in the last year for medication and other issues, they'll handle their vaccinations. Those are the kinds of extra patients that would be added to the numbers. And then the GPs are contacting patients, they'll have their their details, they'll arrange an appointment for them. And depending on where the person lives and their own GP practice, they'll either go to a larger vaccination centre, like the ones that uh, we've seen in the Helix in Dublin, or they'll go to a GP, their own GP surgery, or uh, maybe some other larger one that's close by. So the use of the mRNA vaccines has changed things up for a number of reasons. It is a more sensitive 
type of vaccine uh, than the AstraZeneca one, and they can't risk wasting the doses. So if a practice has fewer than 200 patients in the over 85 group on its books, or its premises is too small to have a separate space for vaccination and observation afterwards, it'll buddy up with a larger local surgery. So you may have several small GP surgeries using a larger one as, as the location. And then the other option that I've already mentioned there is those larger centres like the Helix. Now, the HSC said uh, there'd be 121 GP using that centre this week and they'll arrange time slots for their patients in there. So these would be some of the GPs that would have the smaller numbers under 200 uh, in that age bracket. And each GP may only be there for a couple of hours uh, depending on their numbers just to get through their patients. And so given that this may mean a huge number of people turning up at GP surgeries, does this put even more pressure on these doctors at what's already a pressurised time? What have they been saying about the plans? Yeah, I mean, I think at the moment they had been planning for it and I think we'll probably have to be a little bit further into it to see the, the real impact on it. Um, we know that the number of people seeking tests for COVID have come down. I think that'll probably help a lot if we were in a situation uh, like we were, say, three weeks ago or more uh, and immediately after Christmas where all they were doing was basically COVID referrals and it was all that they really had time to do, I think that would have put a lot more pressure on them. So something that they that GPs are saying uh, at the end of last week was at least that those numbers have come down. So we are able to do a little bit more of, uh, you know, sort of non-COVID services and, you know, move into the vaccination. And you know, they do seem to be saying that, you know, the planning, like I said, has gone into this and they're ready to do it. They're confident that they'll be able to get it done. Can you talk us through what it's actually like for somebody who is getting the vaccine, what the experience is like? Yeah, I mean, for most people, it'll be a similar experience to getting the flu vaccine. And actually, people who are in that over 85 cohort will be familiar with getting their flu vaccine every year anyway. So if we take the example of a GP surgery, you'll either go to your own or another larger local surgery. You'll go in, you'll be registered, and the GP will go through your informed consent, and then the GP will administer your vaccine. For those who go to a mass vaccination centre, it's really the same process, just at a different location, and it will still be your own GP. So once you get your vaccine, you'll be monitored for 15 minutes in another part uh, of the surgery or another part of the centre just to make sure that you don't have any immediate serious reactions to it. We did see two examples of severe reactions in nurses in the UK in December, people might remember, and they had a history of reacting to vaccines and both carried adrenaline auto-injectors. So if you have a history of anaphylaxis, you can still get the vaccine, but your monitoring time afterwards is 30 minutes rather than 15. Now I should say this is extremely rare and also doctors know exactly what to do if this does happen. The two nurses in the UK who had this reaction, it happened very soon afterwards after the vaccine was administered and they both recovered after being treated. And Orla, Michelle mentioned there that COVID vaccines, like with any medicine, have got some side effects. Now, the HSC has said that most of them are quite mild and short lasting. Can you give us a bit more context here? What kind of side effects might people experience after the vaccine? Yeah, as you say there, the HSC has information on its website about the most common side effects of the three COVID-19 vaccines approved for use in Ireland to date. Those are AstraZeneca, Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines. These vaccines all have similar side effects, but there are some differences. For example, the most common side effects after the AstraZeneca vaccine are more likely to happen after the first dose is given, whereas the most common side effects after the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are more likely after the second dose. The common side effects after all these vaccines happen less often in people aged 65 and older. And overall, the most common side effects 
And when we say most common, we mean they can happen in more than one in 10 people. They include feeling tired, tenderness, bruising or pain in the arm where the person was injected. People also can get headaches, muscle pain, joint pain, and some people experience nausea or vomiting um, or fever where their temperature goes above 38 degrees. With the Moderna vaccine specifically, some people may also experience swollen lymph glands under the arm where they had the injection. Obviously, everyone is different and some people have experienced more serious side effects, but these cases are rare and some people experience no side effects at all. If anyone is concerned about the vaccine side effects, um, they should phone their GP for advice ahead of getting the vaccine. Michelle, when will people who are vaccinated over the next two weeks receive their second dose? So everyone this week is receiving the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the HSC says the second dose should be given three to four weeks after the first dose. Now It seems like this vaccine, since we're getting larger deliveries of this than the Moderna one, will be the main vaccine for this group. It takes seven days after the second dose for the vaccine to offer the highest level of protection according to the data that we have so far, but it does still provide prote- protection after that first dose. In fact, we've recent data from Israel's mass vaccination programme And that suggests one dose gives people 90%, which is very high, 90% protection after 21 days. So from now until mid-April, the focus is going to be almost entirely on people who are over 70s, people in care homes and frontline healthcare workers until that's complete. Yeah, that's right. This this is going to be the, the main focus. Now, as we moved into the over 70 cohort, there were still frontline healthcare workers and older people in residential care who hadn't received their vaccines yet. Now, in the case of nursing homes, this may have been due to open outbreaks at the home. So they're going back into those long-term care facilities to make sure everyone gets their jobs. Uh, but the health service was originally counting on using the AstraZeneca vaccine for those aged over 70 in this phase of the rollout. That has obviously changed with the recent guidance from the National Immunisation Advisory Committee that this age cohort should be given mRNA vaccines where possible. So we are expecting to get quite large volumes of doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. That means that the fourth group on the priority list, that's other healthcare workers who are not in direct patient contact, contact will get that vaccine. So it is possible that sort of as as we move through uh, the over 70s group in parallel, we're also going to see quite a number of other healthcare workers get the vaccine at the same time. So it isn't like one group is finished and then the next group is started. It's more fluid than that. So you could have a couple of groups being done simultaneously. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. And I think that we're probably going to see this more and more, particularly if it's the case that we we sort of have those, uh, you know, in in tandem, we're using two different types of vaccines for different age cohorts. Um, Depending on, on the other vaccines that come on stream, there might be some that are not advised for use in people who have particular conditions, um, for example. So I think that it's a possibility that as we move forward, uh, there could be some of the older age groups um, in the following uh, priority groups, maybe getting the mRNA vaccines uh, where possible. And then some of the, the younger people who come uh, on stream in those other groups might be getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, we also have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, fingers crossed, coming on stream very soon uh, if, if it's approved by the European Medicines Agency. Um, so I think that, that there's going to be probably more nuance as we move through the groups now. I mean, like I said, we started doing the over 70s when we hadn't exactly finished all of the frontline healthcare workers or everybody uh, who was in a long-term care facility who was over the age of 65. Uh, and I think that they, it's just because they really need to get going as much as they can. And on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, we heard earlier this week that it could be approved as early as mid-March, which would obviously be a very welcome breakthrough. Michelle, the next group that's going to be a huge part of this vaccination process is key workers. Uh, The National Immunisation Advisory Committee has been refining the government's priority list of who constitutes a key worker. But what do we know about that? Who is considered to be a key worker? 
Well, this is something we're still waiting to get clarification on. The government's vaccine implementation strategy states the rationale for having these workers sixth on the list is that they provide services essential to the vaccination program, such as logistical support. But I mean, that's not really a very detailed description. Um, so, th- so it's one of the most vague groups on the list. We'll be expecting more detail from the health service on that soon, because obviously we're not too far away, hopefully, from moving into that group. So you talked about that group being quite vague, but one of the next groups down is number nine, which is people who are aged 18 to 64, living or working in crowded settings. Do we know what that means? Because that seems very, very broad. Yeah, I think that is too. This one is is probably a little bit clearer, though we haven't received a full detailed list of who is included. So some of this is for me is going to be guesses, uh, but but the implementation strategy states the rationale for giving priority to this group is that disadvantaged socio-demographic groups are more likely to experience a higher burden of infection. So here we're talking about people uh, like those living in direct provision and presumably people working in those centres as well. Also members of the travelling community, we've seen a number of outbreaks in both of those settings. I imagine people who are experiencing homelessness will be included in this group as well. Now, this hasn't been confirmed yet, but you'd also expect prisons to come into focus here, both staff and prisoners. Uh, Though prisons in Ireland haven't actually had a big problem with outbreaks, from March last year to January 2021, there were just 51 cases among prisoners and only half were prison-based transmissions. So those others could be people who contracted COVID in the community, but were then tested and diagnosed when they were sent to prison. I also expect there's going to be an argument for workers in food processing plants to be included in this ninth list rather than in the 10th group, because we know it's hard to social distance when they're at work. Also, some are living in very crowded accommodation, uh, carpooling to work and so on. They are in that in the 10th group, so in, in the following group after that anyway, and we will hopefully have much more significant levels of supplies by that stage. So time-wise, there might not be a huge gap between those two groups. And like we said earlier, it's possible that some of the groups will be done in tandem. Orla, can you look into your crystal ball a little bit here? Can you tell us when a decent chunk of the population will actually be vaccinated? I'll do my best. The government previously set a target of vaccinating every adult in Ireland by September. However, due to some supply issues and the changes in plans with AstraZeneca that we've mentioned, there are now mixed messages as to whether or not this target will be met. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly recently said that despite the issues, every adult may still be vaccinated against COVID by September, as Ireland is due to get large supplies of the vaccine in the spring and summer. However, Taoiseach Michal Martin has said the end of the year may be more realistic. As for the HSE, um, CEO Paul Reid last week said the September goal is very much dependent on supply issues, so it's too early to give a definite date. Basically, the delivery of the vaccine is expected to ramp up in the summer, but it's not entirely clear when all adults will be vaccinated. So we know we're working at the moment with the Moderna, um, the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines, but what other vaccines can we expect to get in Ireland and do we know when we're going to get them? Yes, Stephen Donnelly has said that um, 1.1 million doses of the Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca vaccines are expected to be delivered to Ireland by the end of March. That would mean about half a million people could be vaccinated lower than the original target of 700,000 people by the end of the month. According to a European delivery schedule released earlier this year, and of course, our supplies are dependent on on what the EMA grants approval to and um, strikes deals with certain companies over, Ireland is in line to receive about 4.5 million doses of various vaccines by the end of June. So that would mean over 2 million people here could be vaccinated by then. Overall, the European Commission expects 33 million doses of various COVID-19 vaccines to be delivered this month, 55 million doses in March and 300 million between April and June. 
All of these vaccines will be made available to EU member states depending on population size, meaning that if that all goes to plan, Ireland is in line to get about 4.47 million doses by the end of June. This figure may increase as we had some good news week this week in that the European Commission struck a deal for an extra 150 million doses of Moderna's vaccine this year, nearly doubling the number of shots secured from this company. And this makes the EU's target of vaccinating 70% of adults by mid-September more likely. Also this week, Johnson & Johnson applied for authorization for its vaccine in the EU with a decision possible by the middle of March. A number of other vaccines, um, such as those being developed by GSK and CureVac, are also expected to get approval from the EMA in the coming months. So Ireland will be in line to get some of those as well once approval is granted by the EMA. I think the question a lot of people would be asking after hearing that will be, how is Ireland doing compared to other countries? Because if we look at our nearest neighbour in the UK, they aimed to vaccinate 15 million people by the middle of February and they announced this week that they've managed to do that. And we've seen other charts showing that Ireland is either doing quite well or very well compared to other European countries, albeit from a bit of a sluggish start. But what does that all look like now? How does Ireland actually compare to European countries and to Britain as well? Yeah, well, we're no longer top of the table in the EU. That was quite a brief stint, but we are still doing relatively well compared to other European countries. The UK, of course, no longer in the EU, um, is ahead of most European countries in terms of the overall number of doses given to people, but not when it comes to the percentage of people who have received two doses. As you say, around 15 million people in the UK to date have received their first dose or have been offered one. So that includes um, the majority of people over the age of 75 and frontline healthcare workers and nursing home staff. The UK has now moved on to vaccinating people who are deemed vulnerable because they have conditions such as cancer, heart problems or diabetes. Diabetes. And the 15 million figure that was released on Sunday means about one fifth of the population in the UK has received their first dose of the vaccine. However, when you take second doses into account, a number of European um, countries have made more progress. So there's a number of reasons as to why the UK is a bit ahead in terms of overall doses given. It had um, a bit of a head start on the EU in terms of administering vaccines as it approved the Pfizer vaccine in early December, nearly three weeks before the EU did. And another reason the UK is doing well in this regard is that it also focused on delivering first doses to as many people as possible and is leaving slightly longer in between doses compared to some other countries. In terms of first doses given to people, Germany comes second after the UK, but it is well behind with only around 4 million doses administered, followed by Italy and France. They have both um, given about 2 million first doses and Poland has given just over 2 million as well. Worldwide, the UK ranks behind Israel, the Seychelles and the UAE in terms of first doses given. However, it's a different picture when you look at which countries have fully vaccinated their citizens, as in given two doses. According to Oxford University figures, about 0.8% of the UK population, that's over 530,000 people, have been fully vaccinated as of the 13th of February. These figures put Malta at the top of the table, having fully vaccinated 3.6% of its population. Denmark, Belgium and Portugal are next. They have fully vaccinated over 3% of their citizens. And Ireland is currently 11th in Europe in this regard, having fully vaccinated, again, two doses of about 1.9% of the population. So when it comes to second doses, Ireland is actually ahead of the UK percentage wise. 
So does that mean that it's too early for us to actually compare how Ireland is doing with other countries? It sounds like it very much depends on what metric you use at the moment, because, you know, you could say that the UK is doing incredibly well if you look at who's gotten the first dose. But then if you actually look at who's been fully vaccinated, that completely changes. You're looking at Malta and Denmark instead. So is it too early? Yeah, basically, it is too early to tell. There have been some criticisms about the slowness of the vaccine rollout in Ireland and in the EU in general. We've all seen the graphs where the UK is way out ahead in terms of the actual number of people who've been vaccinated. But again, once we drill down into that, that is first doses. There have been some questions raised about the UK's approach in that they are focusing on giving first doses to as many people as possible and leaving that longer gap between the first and second dose. So it's not entirely clear if this is the right approach to take. In one sign of good news in the UK, new research indicates that falling death rates among the early could be a sign that vaccines are working there. An Oxford University study has found that since a peak last month, the fatality rate in those aged over 80 has dropped by more than 30%. This is compared to a drop of less than 15% in those aged under 65. So while it's a tentative link and it's early days, it would indicate that the UK kind of Focusing on on the elderly and going for as many people as possible to get the first dose seems to be having a positive effect. Michelle, I know you've been doing a lot of work on what's been happening in Israel, which was so far in front of other countries for, for so long. Can you give us an update on what is happening there and the situation in Israel? Yeah, so I mean, I think Israel is is a great example if you're looking for, you know, what things will look like in the future, what things could look like when we're a bit further into our vaccination programme. The Israeli government struck a deal with Pfizer-BioNTech for enough doses to inoculate every Israeli over the age of 16 by the end of March. And obviously, March is coming fast. Uh, as part of this deal, the government committed to providing really detailed data on the rollout. So the Israeli vaccination programme is kind of like a, a living trial, something that experts always said um, when I spoke to them about early results from clinical trials is that those trials are done in a controlled environment. So you don't always see the same results in the real world. But here with the data from Israel, we are seeing how it's working in the real world. So more than 3.8 million people have received their first dose, about 2.4 million have received two doses, so are fully vaccinated. The program there is now showing signs of working uh, as there's been a drop in infections and illness in those aged over 60. So out of almost 750 50,000 fully vaccinated people over the age of 60, there were just 531 positive COVID results, uh, which is you know a really small amount, and just 38 of those required hospitalisation. Now, this data suggests that infections and illness fell consistently from 14 days after receiving the first jab. And obviously, the, the biggest drop was observed in people after their second dose, seven days after the second dose. We saw that in very recent data. There was a 94% drop in symptomatic infections across 600,000 people who received two doses. And that vaccine efficacy was maintained in all groups, including older people, so those aged over 70. Israel is also now starting to ease its lockdown restrictions. So it'll be interesting now to see how the vaccine success they've had will impact on transmission as they move out of the lockdown. Now, when we're talking about the success of Israel's vaccination program, you also have to mention the situation in Palestinian territories. There are differing views about who's responsible for vaccinations in these areas, depending on whether you ask the United Nations or whether you ask the Israeli government. Ultimately, the Palestinian Authority is making some progress with its own vaccine rollouts, but it's a lot slower than the efforts organised by the Israeli government. And there have also been other issues, such as actually getting the vaccine supplies into areas like the Gaza Strip. There are also thousands of Palestinians who cross into Israel for work, and it's probably going to become a problem as Israel opens back up if these workers are not vaccinated as part of the Israeli programme. 
To bring this all back to Ireland, Michelle, can you give us an idea of how the next few weeks are going to look? What can we expect to see? Yeah, so I mean, this is our our first week with the over 70 cohort uh, and there are more than 480,000 people aged over 70 in Ireland with more than 72,000 aged over 85. So obviously the over 85 group is what we're focusing on for the next three weeks. It's expected that the over 85s will all have their first dose within three weeks time. Uh, And before the end of those three weeks, we may have a sort of a crossover. We may have already moved into the next group of 80 to 84 year olds. Now, HSC CEO Paul Reid has said he he expects everyone in this over 70s cohort to have received their first dose by mid-April and their second dose by the middle of May. Um, So that's just to give people an idea of of where we'll be going forward. That brings us sort of into the summer. That feels like a bit of an optimistic point to wrap it up on. So uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you both, Michelle Hennessy and Orla Ryan. Thanks, Christine. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thanks to Orla and Michelle for all their work. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts or tweet about it or share it with a friend. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.